This is a Soulfire production. Yo, everybody, we're back. And I want to welcome you back politically homeless we got a fun show today we're talking aaron Rodgers. we're talking student loan forgiveness we're gonna talk about the cdc we got a lot to talk about and discuss but first i want to talk about me which isn't something i normally do a ton on this show which is i enjoy you know when i did um more like a personal development uh, development type content i talked about myself a lot and i was talking this is like probably a year ago about a year into doing this talking to uh my then fiance and I was like, man, it's so nice to just not have to talk about my private life on the podcast all the time. And I know you guys probably appreciate that too, because why? Why? Um, we talk about how to think and see and what's going on in the world and how to how to maintain. I think in some ways we do maybe find a way to live a bit, little bit more uh, mental, mentally healthy life through this show, but maybe not. I don't know. I definitely don't. <laughs> That's what I wanted to talk about with you guys. Uh, I've been notably absent for the past uh, week or so. And, you know, I, I quit nicotine um, and it wasn't smoking. I didn't smoke. I did red man chewing tobacco sometimes, but mostly just they were called the uh, rogue nicotine pouches, rogues. And there's a bunch of different styles, but I like the rogue ones. And uh, the reason I like them is because they were a little bit more aggressive. They were a little bit harsher. And they kind of burned. They were also bigger, so it was a little bit more satisfying because, as anyone knows, whether you're a smoker or you dip or you chew or whatever it is, there does become like this habitual oral fixation that, that goes along with uh, the consumption, your delivery system of nicotine. Um, and I was I was on it bad. I mean, I don't think I've, I've maybe done one show in the entire lifetime of this show that I wasn't, that I didn't use nicotine. I think I took a week off at some point. Um, but it was really frustrating. And when I quit that, cold turkey. So it's been I'm 29 days in. Um, I went through some shit. Like it was, I was angry all the time. I couldn't think my brain quit working. I even like microdosing LSD helped a little bit, but nothing really, um, could take the edge off. I could, I couldn't talk really. It was, I couldn't find my words. Um, I'm finally feeling like 80% now, but really what it comes down to is like, understanding, you know, something like, and I think vaping is kind of the same thing. It's, we think of these things as like, well, I'm not using tobacco, so it's fine. Um, and I just created this absurd reliance on nicotine, you know, and I've had to even consume more caffeine in the meantime to kind of bridge the gap. But now I'm dialing that back a little bit as well. Um, just trying to get out of some of these cycles in my life that I feel like weren't adding, adding any value, you know? And I think, I think when we look at our lives and something I talked about a lot back in the day is you have these kind of, um, linchpin issues, especially when it comes to self uh, discipline and things like that. Um, where if you can, if you can stop this thing, that's really fucking hard. It makes some of the other things that are, that are really on the whole scale, like less hard. It kind of starts to snowball effect, right? Where you can start, stop this thing. That's like really challenging that I really want to stop. It's going to create some, be able to create some change, uh, going forward. And with a new, with a kid on the way and things like that, like stuff just came up and I, I apologize um, to everybody, uh, I just want to let you guys know I was going through, I wouldn't call it a mental health crisis, but definitely a, um, a rough fucking time. 
And uh, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be waking up feeling like a normal, my normal self. I still have uh, some outbursts every now and then. Not outbursts, but tantrums. Uh, <laughs> just being honest with myself here. Uh, but it's been good. I've been roasting myself in the sauna. Elk season's coming. So uh, when you're out in the middle of the woods for a few days, uh, there's no gas stations to tempt you with their uh, nicotine products. So I don't have to worry about that. Um, and I'm really excited to get out into the woods and uh, get dialed in and, and get ready for um, – Hopefully putting an elk on the ground this year. It's year three, and I'm really excited. It's something I practice a lot and care a lot about. Um, and it was so funny. I mean, speaking of things that I really enjoy doing and care a lot about now, I've just become obsessed with golf over the past six months. And through that hard time of just, like, feeling, it was like I, I just rotated between sadness, frustration, anger, self-pity, disappointment, it just was like, it was, I was on the, like a, a Ferris wheel of just like negative emotions and feelings. Uh, but golf was the only thing that could really do that. Like, didn't make me want to feel like I wanted to jump off a bridge. Like it was, I would just go to the range, but like, all right, just take a breath, fucking be outside. Weather's nice. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was fucking nuts. Um, but here we are, we're doing the thing and we got a lot to talk about. One thing I wanted to bring up is, um, just kind of in this, in the pre-show conversations, as I look at this and, and through this whole time where I said things were a little bit chaotic, part of that was like reevaluating the way we want to do the show here. And, you know, I've actually thought, I've been thinking about this and, and listening to the shows that I really enjoyed, Tim Dillon and stuff like that. Um, one, I would really like to find someone, and I'm open to this. This is, uh, this is a risk putting this out there. But I'd like to find, you know, if Tim Dillon has Ben, like I would like to find a Ben, right? Um, one thing that's really challenging with doing this kind of content, uh, and you'll see this, right, if you look around, um, very few people who do the things that I do, um, do it in a vacuum, do it alone, right? Like Hassan Piker does, I guess, but he just like sits on Twitch for all day long and does this thing and then drives his Porsche around, uh, and then talks about socialism, which is kind of cute. Uh, like Tim Pool, if you look at him, who's like a, I don't know, a version of Hassan Piker in some certain way. Um, it's a whole group of people and I miss that. And I, and I had an opportunity to move um, to Austin and I could have probably found that there much easier. Um, but I didn't want to live there anymore because it's become, uh, they took something I, I really loved and, and, and just turned it into a Bush league version of Malibu and it sucks. Um, I, it frustrates me to even go back there now. I'm one of those, I'm like a local there where I was like, God damn it. They ruined it. But I live out in the boonies and that is what it is. But I just, I, I think that it would be really fun to have someone to bounce things off of. So I'm looking for that. I'm out there feeling that out. I'm trying to go look at going into 2023, going into the, into the midterms, you know, September, I'll be all over the place, but going into the midterms really want to put out some good content for you guys. So have any thoughts or ideas, like something else I thought is, is not segmenting the show so much and just kind of going kind of a stream of consciousness for an hour, hour and a half, hitting the stories, kind of bouncing around, um, and having fun that way. We'll, we'll see, you know, but I'm, I really am like looking at this and trying to, I think we've done it for long enough. I don't think it's a good idea generally to kind of redo or re constantly be reshaping things. And that's why I really have had the same format for this show the entire time. Um, but I'm open, you know, I'm open and you guys are here. You listen all the time. You listen every week. Um, and I love you guys. You guys are awesome. Y'all's feedback means a lot to me. So if you wanted to shoot me a DM on, on Instagram or something like that, if you have any thoughts or feedback, um, more than happy to hear it. Uh, I don't think that doing, um, more than a show a week is going to really be our pathway to like, any kind of huge growth. I'm not Crystal and Sager. I don't have a team like that is, you know, I have Josh or video editor who's fucking great. Um, thanks Josh. Uh, but that is, it's, it's really us two. <laughs> and so he does the video editing and I, I do, I do this stuff in front of the camera and that's, that's it. So 
as we look forward, I think this, I think this has legs. I think it can do something, but we've got to, um, we got to get really serious about what that is. And I think we've done it for long enough now that we can start kind of making some changes, um, and have enough of a track record to do so. All right. That's enough of the housekeeping on the politically homeless behind the scenes and, um, primaries, these primaries we've got coming up. We're not going to cover them today on the show, but I wanted to bring up, it's, it's actually really interesting. They look less red wavy. I mean, I've been talking about a red wave for over a year, probably at this point, like it was just, the writing was on the wall, right? We had all the COVID stuff, all like, it's, it's interesting to me. And I wanted to kind of play this out. We're going to bring up, um, kind of a chart showing where Americans generally lie on the, on the spectrum here, but it's been really interesting to see that Republicans like are reminding us who they are. it's so funny, like what's going to happen, and we're going to talk about this with the Aaron Rodgers piece too, he kind of brought this up, is is I've just noticed this in my lifetime, and, and being 35, I've kind of had, you know, was too young to really remember HW and and barely the Clinton thing kind of, but really my I, I remember pretty vividly George W. Bush and on, right? George W. Bush, Obama, uh, obviously Trump, and then here we are, right, with Biden. So looking at that, it's like this pendulum has swung. It's been so... I don't want to say like that it's that it's historical in the way that the pendulum is swinging now. Maybe this is something. Maybe this happened in the '60s, '70s. I don't know. Was it there? Um, and we can look back on it and say and try to make projections. But really, there's so much bias that's inherent in that because of the way that we want to see things that I can't really. I don't want to compare it to anything else besides like what I've seen and say that this is fucking nuts. Uh, <laughs> the way that the pendulum swings back and forth so aggressively. Like what's going to happen? And it seems relatively clear is that. We're going to swing far right in 2024, um, and then we'll hate that in eight, eight, four or eight years, and we'll swing further the other way. And it's like there's no incentive to bring back any kind of rational pragmatism into the into a federal government. Um, and even with the policies that are enacted, right, we, we're going to discuss student loan forgiveness, and I just want to have a discussion about it with you guys. I want to get into, into some dialogue there and, and open it up. Um, for when we do get into the comments section and just and just and just discuss things and, and the way we're thinking about it and seeing it and viewing it and, and Discuss the way that we're discussing it. It's been so weird, but is that the way it's going to be, right? That that's definitely a, a very partisan uh, policy. Or is now we're going to have part aggressively partisan policies on the other side as soon as the Republicans have control, and there's not going to be like the the um, the only bipartisan consensus will be over things that are universally terrible, like like war and military funding and shit like that. Um, and is pro business, pro big business exploitation. Like these are all things that are that are hyper bipartisan, and it's just strange for me to see that. You know, we got uh, we've got Fauci stepping down. Zuckerberg was on Brogan, and a lot of stuff, a lot of the COVID stuff has taken a turn, and we're going to discuss that for sure um, on this episode. But with that being the case, I think that actually helps the Democrats oddly enough, right? Fauci stepping down, him out of the limelight. Zuckerberg talking about the FBI on on Rogan. Everybody's having a big to do about it, and I get it is new. It's a story, right? He's he's saying the thing, but we already knew the thing, that thing, right? Like we already knew, like nothing, not a single fucking thing he said wasn't already out there. Um, I guess it's notable that he said it, but it was already out there. And when I look at that and what Facebook does, I mean, right now I'm I'm suspended. Uh, from going live on Instagram, which is a great way. I, I love going live with everybody, and it frustrates me that I can't go live. Um, I called someone an ignorant twat um, in a discourse, <laughs> which I. it's frustrating because, like, in text, I get that's pretty bad. Like, in a conversation, it was more like a – it wasn't really meant to be, like, biting. It was just kind of, like, 
a joke. Uh, but I get that. I also said something like I said, I put nerd at the end of a sentence. Like somebody was calling me a, an oppressor. Like it was one of those things I was trying to have, actually have a real conversation about this Andrew Tate character, uh, who got banned from everything, which I think was a terrible idea because it just creates more and more. It's a Streisand effect. Like he's more popular now than he was before he was banned because he was banned. It's absurd. Um, but I was like, Hey man, like you're accusing this guy of like human trafficking and pedophilia and shit like that. Like that, that's, that's not Facebook's job. That's, that's a job of probably the FBI. Right. Um, and he's been raided and he, he, it seemed like he was exonerated or they didn't have anything on him. So it's like, you're making criminal allegations. Like this isn't, it's not Facebook or Meta's job to be the police. And I, I think people have understood, like they just see his authority as authority and authority should be wielded on their behalf. And it's just this really weird time. But somebody called me an oppressor and I was like, dude, you don't even know me nerd. Like, and that was, that's apparently that's harassment and bullying. Um, which is really strange. So like there's these little things I'm like, that's clearly AI is catching that. And then I'm appealing to AI. I'm not, I'm not AI isn't catching it. And then I'm appealing to a person, right? On, on meta platforms, any of them. I'm not appealing to a person. Most of the time I'm appealing back to the AI that said that already flagged on the first, on the first go round. And I have no one to, to discuss things with. And I honestly was kind of frustrated with Rogan on this Zuckerberg interview because there's a million questions that could have been asked. Like, why in the fuck can't I talk to somebody at Instagram? Why is there not a community uh, a community um, guidelines uh, helpline, right, where I can get on a, a, a chat or a video call or a phone call with somebody at Instagram and be like, hey, you explain this to me. What's going on? And if I have to wait a week or something like that to do that, totally fine. But there should be some fucking customer service. Right there should you should be required as I mean this is something maybe the government needs to get it step in here and be like you guys need to have a few thousand people and yeah that means that you're gonna it's gonna impact your bottom line but a few thousand people that are dedicated to person uh, to person customer service why is that not the case you know and Joe didn't I don't know I mean I get it it's like it's not his responsibility necessarily but he had this interview and he did ask him questions that that he had not been asked before um, and pushed him a little bit but. There was a lot there. There was a lot that was left on the table. And then, you know, follows that up with Aaron Rodgers, which is fantastic. One of the, I mean, I listened to the Aaron Rodgers podcast and we're going to talk about it in a full segment on the show. Um, and it was like the same, we would have had a very similar conversation. Like Aaron and I, one apparently looked a lot alike. I get that often. And I just now kind of really started to notice that, <laughs> but, um, all the same beliefs. And it was so funny in, in the coping that I've seen on the other end, like, I even debated going in and just like breaking down Kyle Kalinsky's video, breaking down Rogan and, and Aaron Rodgers um, conversation. Like I'm watching people that I respect, like cope with this in such a, in such a cunty cowardice way. Like it, something I, I thought about for a while. And I know I'm just rambling here guys, but fuck it. We're on a podcast this is what we do. Something I've thought about for a while is like, like you can be a liberal, right? Like, and I'm, I, I consider myself, Classically liberal, I guess. I hate that term because Dave Rubin destroyed it. But, like, I'm on the left still, right? Like, I'm going to make some defensive arguments about this student loan forgiveness piece. I think that I'm very pro-worker. Like, I'm like, you know, like the things that the left used to be about. I love the work. I think the working class needs to be bolstered. I think small businesses need to be um, returned to the backbone of our society. I think these are all positive things. I think upper, the lack of upper mobility is the, the, the root cause to so many of our issues in our country. But I'm not a pussy, right? I'm not a pussy. I am a lot of things. I procrastinate. I get distracted easily. 
Um, I'm a lot, there's a lot of negative qualities about me. I am not a pussy and it's really hard. And I understand a lot of you guys don't like that word. We're actually gonna do that. It's something to think about. We're gonna talk about the word pussy and retard and language. Um, but when you look at this, it's like, it's to be a liberal and be a pussy. It's like, it's to be a liberal and be a pussy is like being a, a conservative and being a racist. Like it's just too stereotypical, right? It's just too stereotypical. It's just like, you if you're going to be a liberal, then do it with some fucking backbone and don't be such a goddamn coward and complain about the dumbest fucking bullshit that means nothing to you or anybody else. You can't be a liberal and a pussy. It's, it's annoying to people. You're just getting on people's nerves. It's like you're so much the stereotype that you don't have any credibility, just like the racist conservative assholes. You know? The patriots. I'm a patriot. Like with the fucking weird stickers and they have the American flag flying off the back of their truck. <sighs> it's like the, the it's it, you're a clown. And to watch Kalinsky just like completely turn into a cuck for the fucking it's like I've watched more like people that I like on the actual left become just stooges for the Democratic Party and just cucking for Biden so hard. I'm like, dude, what are you doing here? You know? What are we doing here? But the Aaron Rodgers Joe Rogan podcast, one of the best I've ever heard. And that's my ramblings. That is my fucking ramblings. I don't know. We're all over the place today. My brain is still, like I said, not at uh not running on on all cylinders, but it's okay. We're here. We're going to do the best we can. Nothing changes if nothing changes, like Theo Vaughn says, which I think is from AA. I was going to go to Narcotics Anonymous and say that I was addicted to nicotine pouches, but I think I'd get laughed out of the room. State of things coming up right now. Let's go. All right, before we get into the CDC embracing reality, kind of, um, I want to bring this up. Well, this was this was relative. I don't remember who posted. Maybe it was Liam or Will Roosh, but we got this this chart here: it's the hidden tribes of America. I'm gonna read through these, and I think this is actually relatively accurate. Their description, like as far as the breakdowns are concerned, I think are relatively accurate. Um, and, uh, but as far as like what they think these people believe, uh, I think I have a better gauge on that than this, this hidden tribes website, but this is from hidden tribes.us. And I wanted to break this down. So we've got, what is it here? We got seven different categories instead of the typical left, right, right. We're looking at seven different categories on the far left. You have progressive activists, uh, just to the right of those traditional liberals, just to the right of them, passive liberals, politically disengaged moderates, which they put on the right, which I find interesting. Traditional conservatives and devoted conservatives. Now, you have in the exhausted majority, you have the traditional liberals, uh, passive liberals, politically disengaged, and the moderates. And on the wings, you have on the left, the progressive activists. And on the right, you have traditional conservatives and devoted conservatives. So it gives you a different kind of framework, which I think is much better as far as an indication of like what our world really looks like. Um, because even within these different, even within the exhausted majority, right? Like traditional liberals and moderates might have many disagreements, but they're both exhausted. And I do agree with that. And then you have these, the wings here, which it has the conservative wing being much more prominent by 10 percentage points. Um, then the leftist wing. And uh, you know, I can't, 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, that, that that seems a little bit sus to me. But let's just read through these and what they have to say about them. Uh, progressive activists, 8% of the population, are deeply concerned with issues concerning equity, fairness, and America's direction today. They tend to be more secular, cosmopolitan, and highly engaged on social media. <sighs> yeah, I mean, secular in religious beliefs, yeah. But, like, they're, they, they've turned so much of their political beliefs into a, a religious like um, organization or I mean religious like belief system. It's very strange. Uh, so it's like they've replaced their, their, their secular religious views with social justice, religious views. Like it, 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 it the correlation there is kind of astonishing um, with equity, fairness and America's direction. To, yeah, I guess, I guess Tradi- traditional liberal liberals, 11% of the population tend to be cautious, rational, and idealistic. They value tolerance and compromise. They place great faith in institutions. See, this is where it gets weird. They value tolerance and They don't, like, traditional liberals do not place great faith in institutions. Like, when I think traditionally liberal, I think um, people that were critical of the CIA, the FBI, war. Like, that's just not... So that's that. That to me is strange. Maybe that's shifted over the over the past you know forty fifty years, and I may be wrong, but that's the way that I see it in my own subjective reality. Passive liberals, fifteen percent of the population, tend to feel isolated from their communities. They are insecure in their beliefs, and and try to avoid political conversations. They have a fatalistic view of politics and feel the circumstances of their lives are beyond their control. That's a pretty nihilistic view of passive liberals. I don't know if there's that 15% of the population of America feels that way, but I could begin. Could be wrong. Politically disengaged. Now, this is what I would think would be politically homeless, but based on what they're looking at here, it seems a little odd. 26% of the population. Untrusting, suspicious about the external threats, conspiratorially minded, and pessimistic about progress. They tend to be patriotic yet detached from politics. Does that feel like you? Does that feel like you or does that feel like somebody what somebody might think about you without really knowing what you think or believe? Hmm. Moderates are engaged in their communities, well-informed, and civic-minded. Their faith is often an important part of their lives. They shy away from extremism of any sort. Hmm. <laughs> Traditional conservatives, 19% of the population, tend to be religious, patriotic, and highly moralistic. I believe that. They believe deeply in personal responsibility and self-reliance. Yeah, I guess. Devoted conservatives, 6% of the population, are deeply engaged with politics and hold strident, uncompromising views. They feel that America is embattled and they perceive themselves at the at as the last defenders of traditional values that they are under threat. Yeah. And this is one thing I wanted to bring up here. The devoted conservatives mirror the progressive activists, right? They're concerned about America's direction today. Right, and they 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 play a zero sum game with one another that all of the rest of us are in, caught in the middle of, right? Because the way that these these strident, devoted conservatives see the world, the way they look at it, and the way that progressive activists look at it is that they're playing tug of war with one another, right? They're having to ruin the way of life of devoted conservatives to create the way of life that they want to exist in, right? Which is. Interesting because these people would very rarely encounter one another in, in the wild, <laughs> right? Like these metropolitan cats and people like they're never, they're not really going to be running into that many devoted conservatives in that are generally in rural areas, but you can see this reflection 
Now, I think that their views of the politically disengaged, passive liberals, and traditional liberals are, are moronic, to be honest with you. But I think that the breakdowns are probably correct. And, no, and from the conversations that I have with people, there's so many people that are politically engaged but homeless, right? I mean, that's the best way to put it. Like, There's just no place where they feel comfortable being themselves. And I think as we've, we've developed as a nation and a culture – we value being comfortable as yourself to a fault sometimes, right? That you're, that's the difference in a body positivity movement and a obesity normalization movement. Those are two separate things. And one is a, is a step too far, in my opinion, to saying, hey, like, you're, you're perfect as you are. Like, that's a little bit, um, I mean, you can do what you want to do, but like, don't pretend that it's not a bad decision for yourself. So there's, I don't know, we look at this, I just wanted to break this down. I, I don't have like definitive views, I don't want to tell you what to think about it, but, or how to think about it, but it's worth looking at, right? Like look at the way that this is being classified and broken down, and maybe this is a little bit more, I don't like the way, again, they classify this, but maybe it's a more nuanced view of how we can, how we can see America today and where people are moving, right? That 26% of politically disengaged are what I would say... Un, either non-voters that could be turned into voters or swing voters, right? Your moderates are swing voters. Your passive liberals are swing voters. Traditional liberals in many ways are swing voters. The conservatives, traditional conservatives and devoted conservatives, not really, right? So we also see more and more that our mainstream political parties, which are a fucking joke, placate to this progressive activist and this um, devoted conservative base, which combined is 14% of the population, which is why this majority piece is so fucking exhausted. It's so absolutely exhausted. I mean, even when we talk about student loan forgiveness, right? That whole situation, we're going to look at the, 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 the way that's been handled and, and how it's been talked about. We can't even have a productive discussion, right? Because uh, we'll get into it there, but it's just like, we can't even have a real grown up conversation. It's, you know, Ted Cruz calling baristas lazy <laughs> and, fucking, and somebody else feeling like they're the Messiah because they got this done. It's just like, it's insane. But worth talking about, worth thinking about. And I uh, wanted to bring that up for you guys. Moving on to the CDC. So over the past few years, COVID has um, killed the business of mine. <laughs> uh, I've been censored all over the place for saying things that I thought and that seemed to be true about COVID. Uh, it killed my YouTube channel. There's been a lot of COVID death in my uh, digital reality. And it looks like now, at this point, we've gotten to a place where YouTube will allow me to say that maybe the vaccines didn't work as well as we thought they were going to. And maybe COVID wasn't a, a, a pandemic of the unvaccinated, but it was a pandemic of old people, obese people, and people with significant comorbidities. I can say that now freely. It feels good to actually be able to say that freely without having to be in fear of the consequences. And it lo I love to see this. CDC admits it failed to meet expectations of COVID response. That's from Axios. If we move over to the Washington Post, CDC under fire lays out plan to become more nimble and accountable. I love that the CDC gets to decide, gets to decide when it gets to be accountable. That's fantastic. The CDC, you decide when you want to be accountable for your decisions and we'll just, we'll just do whatever you want us to do. Over here on the New York Post, CDC gets an overhaul after major, major public mistakes in COVID response. Really? Really? That's just, that's rich. That's rich. Now, if I criticize the CDC two years ago, I could be deplatformed completely. 
did it anyways. And then, you know, my YouTube channel got switched off to all the way down on the knob of, of distribution. But hey, it's just my livelihood. It's just what I'm doing. It's just what I'm trying to create and put into the world. I'm just trying to have a conversation. I'm trying to, you know, use my right to free speech uh, and criticize powerful institutions that have a fuck ton of control over how we live our lives. That have seemed over the past 50 or 60 years, while the health of this nation has spiraled around the drain, um, have done a really bad job. The CDC, the NIAID, the NIH, any of these things. Right, Anything that has to do with pretending that you give a fuck about health in the United States has done a piss poor job over the past 50 or 60 years. Obesity through the roof. Right, Nobody even gives a fuck about where auti- why autism is up 300%. That isn't even a conversation. We're going to talk about that? No, we don't want to talk about that. Could it be vaccines? Could it be microplastics? Could it be plastic chemicals? Could it be uh, pesticides? Could it be something in the water? Who knows? doesn't matter though, right? Because if you question it, you're a fucking conspiracy theorist. You can't even ask, man, why don't we even care about this? This seems like a pretty big deal. We should probably do some more research here, but no. Because no, because if we found out what it was, then somebody who's powerful in this country might be held accountable. And we just can't have that because institutions like the CDC, as we've said, get to choose when they're accountable and when they're not. So let's just pick one of these. Let's go to Axios, because Axios uh, just sucks the dick of the Democratic Party. Rochelle Walensky, director of the Center of of Disease Control and Prevention, outlined a broad plan to overhaul the organization's structure and operation in light of what she said was its failure to respond efficiently to the COVID-19 pandemic, according to media reports. Why it matters. The change comes after the CDC has faced fierce criticisms for its handling of both COVID and the growing monkeypox outbreak. Yeah, of course. You know why? You know, it's fucking simple, right? It's fucking simple. We look back. I'm so fucking pissed right now. Sorry, guys. A little bit of it's nicotine. A little bit of it's just like years of needing to say this out loud and knowing that I'm not going to be punished for it because it's fucking true. You know why you fucking suck at this, CDC? Because you can't even be honest. Monkeypox affects mostly, mostly by a large majority, men that have sex with other men. It is 2022. Being honest about that is not homophobic or shameful. It's fucking reality. And you need to treat people like they're adults. And if they can't handle it like adults, that's on them. But right now, monkeypox deals with dudes who fuck dudes. Okay? Gay, bisexual, bicurious, doesn't matter. And you can't even be honest about who it affects. Just like COVID was not really a threat to young, healthy people. And by focusing on everyone, instead of saying obese, people with significant comorbidities, and the elderly, you actually cost lives. By not being honest about who this disease affected the most and who was really at risk, you allowed people to die that didn't need to die. That blood is on your hands, not in the hands of anti-vaxxers, because as soon as the vaccine, it became obvious that the vaccine did not slow the spread of COVID. As soon as that was the case, it became none of your fucking business who was vaccinated and not. None of y'all's fucking business. It had zero bearing on the reality going forward at that point. The vaccine did not even slow down transmission. But we pretend like it did. We pretended like it did. 
<sighs> and it was so abundantly obvious, and we were gaslit over and over. And the, uh, the fact that you can't even be mature enough to be honest about who's actually impacted by a disease, by a virus of any kind, the fact that you can't be honest about that means that you don't deserve credibility. You don't deserve public trust. The reason the public doesn't trust the CDC is because the CDC does not deserve the public's trust. This is not a fucking, there's no, there's no questions here. There's no deep research or investigation that needs to be put into understanding why you're a fucking failure as an organization, Lena. Or not Lena, what's her name? What's her name? Um, Rochelle Walensky. Sorry, Lena Wynn is somebody else who's, who's changed her tune. It's, there's, there's zero investigation needed. It is abundantly obvious why the CDC is a giant failure. Look at every health measure in the United States since the inception of the CDC. It's comical. It's comical. Anyways, let's zoom out again. The big picture. The series of steps to be taken include efforts to become better communi- uh, efforts to better communicate with the public, speed up data release, and produce actionable data, the AP reported. Huh. That's interesting because it seems like you actually were getting in the way of data being released, right? Remember the booster stuff with people where it wasn't really working, but so you just like hid the booster data for people that were like under 40? Yeah. Weird. Weird. I remember that. Yeah. So instead of getting in, you know, manipulating data, you're going to get data out faster. And I'm supposed to trust after COVID that the CDC is going to be responsible and accountable for getting accurate, appropriate data distributed in a timely manner. You think that, you think that I'm going to believe that? Do you think that anybody in this country who's not a complete cuck for the Democratic Party is going to believe that? Come on. The plans include restructuring the CDC's communication office and revamping its website to make public health guidelines clearer and easier to find. They're pretty fucking easy to find because they're posted on every social media post that says the word COVID or vaccine or jab or vax or Fauci or CDC. They're everywhere. If anything, they're too easy to find to the point where they mean nothing anymore. The CDC will also add more staff to teams that respond to public health emergencies and require these employees to remain in their positions for at least six months, solving the problem of high turnover that provided confusing and time-consuming, uh, that proved, excuse, excuse me, that proved confusing and time-consuming during the uh, pandemic per the New York Times. That, that, that was it? Well, that's the excuse. That's, a, that's rich. The agency will also alter, alter its promotion system to place less emphasis on the number of published scientific papers and employees uh, has an employee. Wait, wait, what the fuck? Hang on. Let me read that again. I read this earlier, but fuck. The agency will also alter its promotion system to place less emphasis on the number of published scientific papers an employee has and more efforts um, to positively impact public health. Okay. So we're going to put some more money into the CDC. That's great. The CDC has long faced criticism for being too academic and producing research that <laughs> undergoes lengthy review processes that are mismatched with the urgency of a pandemic, according to the Times. Oh, so they're inefficient and inept at actually solving problems. No shit. No shit. Now, speaking of data and information, let's just move on. I'm kind of over that part. Um, myocarditis risk after COVID infection higher than with Pfizer or Moderna vaccination, CDC finds. So after they've, they've now become accountable, and now they're going to release data uh, more efe- efficiently and effectively, 
And they say myocarditis risks are higher after COVID infection than Pfizer or Moderna vaccination. Now, you can read this article if you want, but I'll just scroll down here and, uh, and show you something. Speaking of data and information and, and, uh, and accuracy and efficiency and transparency. In February, the CDC said males ages 12 to 39 years old should consider waiting eight weeks between the first and second dose of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines to reduce the risk of myocarditis. Canadian public health authorities have found that the rate of myocarditis after Pfizer or Moderna vaccination was higher than the time between uh, higher when the time between the first and second dose was fewer than 30 days. So what was it like six weeks or something like that? Or no, it was supposed to be two weeks between shots. And what they are leaving out here. It's so funny. They bury the lead. The risk of myocarditis from the vaccine is only higher than COVID in men or males, excuse me, under 40 years old. So for the rest of the population, yeah, uh, risk of heart issues from COVID are higher. But for, what is that, a quarter of the population, if not more? Uh, so tw- only for 20 to 5 to 30% of the population is this relevant. So we'll just bury the lead here and let you know that like, for men under 40 and boys, men and boys under 40, the risk of myocarditis from the vaccine is substantially higher than it is from COVID and long-term effects of the vaccine. But if you mix it all together again and not focus on who's actually impacted, you get a headline like uh, myocarditis risks higher after COVID infection than Pfizer or Moderna vaccinations, the CDC. Fine. So you've now said you're going to be accountable and then fucking manipulated the data once again. Absolutely atrocious guys i don't like to tell you guys like what to think i really don't i said that earlier in the show the cdc is not cdc nih niaid cia fb it's dude guys these institutions have zero incentive to do anything besides get more money (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like even the fucking criminal justice organizations, it's like more funding, more funding, more funding from your pocket to their pocket. And then they're going to, it's, it's insane. On top of all this, now we have Moderna suing Pfizer over the NR, MRNA vaccine technology that you paid for with your tax dollars. So that's going on. Now they're bickering over who actually owns the technology that you paid for the development of. It's the world we live in not honest but it's work you know what i mean <laughs> jesus christ oh uh, i don't even know what to say anymore like i'm just so glad that i have a little bit of freedom back to say hey you guys fucked up you guys fucked up and now people like me and aaron rogers and joe rogan um don't look so crazy and the fact that you called us conspiracy theorists and i lost friends over this trish jc yeah you too yeah, I lost friends over this. I lost friends over this. And that pisses me off so much. It hurts me deep. These are people I really cared about. And I know a lot of, I put that out on the Instagram, and so many people are like, I lost friends over this shit, man. And family members. And, and there's, it strained so many relationships over having a contrary opinion to what I was being told by Rachel fucking Maddow. As if she has any more credibility than a fight commentator or Tim fucking Dylan for that matter. Or anybody else. You know, if I'm going to listen to somebody when it comes to what I'm going to do with my health, 
It's going to be somebody who has a show that's not sponsored by pharmaceutical companies. I don't know if that's a reach for a lot of people. Like, if I came on here and I was like, today's show is brought to you by Moderna, I would now lose all credibility when it comes to discussions about your health and wellness because I would be incentivized for you to be unwell, which is the entire American healthcare system. Unwellness is incentivized, and that's reflected in our food, in our pharmaceuticals, in our day-to-day lives, in the structure of our society. It's so pervasive, it's so deep, but the only way you can avoid it is by getting the fuck out of it. It's disgusting, it's perverse, and it's unjust. And the fucking worst part about it is, and I hate saying this, the worst part about it is it's actually fixable. Certain things aren't, right? There's always going to be wars, there's going to be atrocities, but there's a fixable problem that has to do with the, the wellness of our nation that gets ignored and put on the back burner and billion-dollar Band-Aids are put on the problem that we could actually fucking fix. And here we are. So, fuck you, CDC. <laughs> you fucking failures. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs, the creators of Element, which is a little packet of goodness that you can put in water and drink it up. And it keeps your body moist on the inside. There's a nice blend of magnesium, sodium, and electrolytes that helps you stay hydrated. You need to prime up that hydration. We're going to elk hunting season right now. And I'll be putting in 6, 7, 10-mile, 12-mile days every now and then in the backcountry at elevation. It's not going to be hot, hopefully not too hot. But I will be getting dehydrated, and I'll be hammering that element. I bring a separate little uh, Nalgene bottle just for that because it's necessary. And everything I bring on those trips has to be necessary because I have to hike and carry that shit everywhere. So it's one of the things that makes the list. Black Rifle Coffee and Element are two of my <laughs> main uh, main beverage consumptions in the back country. I cannot fucking wait to get out there if you can't tell. But guys, if you're into things like hiking, moving around, anything that involves sweating, being out in the heat, even if you're just out messing with your kids all day or something like that, having some Element on hand is absolutely essential just to help you get the most out of your water consumption and really encourage you, incentivize you to drink more water. That's a big thing. It's sugar-free. Um, it's sweetened with monk fruit. It's just so fantastic, guys. Created by Rob Wolf, the a pioneer when it comes to health and wellness and, and, and fitness. He's just a just a bad motherfucker, dude. Really, at the end of the day, little guy, but very, very mighty. Very mighty, very strong. Um, and just probably can just, he probably beat my ass, actually. He does a lot of jujitsu. But anyways, guys, Rob Wolf has been just, just a... Um, I'm trying to say here he's been an icon in my life as far as health wellness and and providing us with a framework to live the way we're supposed to live which is free and healthy so guys check it out drink element.com slash wanders d-r-i-n-k-l-m-n-t.com slash wanders there's a link in the show notes you click that with your purchase you'll get a free variety pack so i recommend grab some grapefruit maybe watermelon um, those are two of my favorites. Uh, raspberry is also good as well. If you like things to be a little bit, a little bit tart. And since they are all salty, just keep in mind there's gonna be like a salty taste to it. But it's like a sweet salty mix, which is super palatable. Which means you're gonna want to drink it right up. <sighs> Drinkelement.com/slash/wonder. So yeah, you're going to get um, a free variety pack with your purchase. So pick out watermelon, raspberry, um, and grapefruit are my favorites. So if you like those, those are pretty. Those are pretty assured. Uh, successes, and then you can get that variety pack with all the other flavors in there, and check out see which ones you like the best. But do it, enjoy yourself, 
It's getting to be wintertime, and that thirst is going to sneak up on you. It's not going to be like the summertime. It's, we're getting into fall now. It's starting to cool down a little bit in a lot of parts of the world. And you're going to need to stay moist on the inside. So do it with elementdrinkelement.com slash wonders. Link is in the show notes. Now let's get back to the show. So let's talk student loan debt and student loan debt relief. I want to be transparent about my situation when it comes to student loans. I've had very few student loans, and I did end up being a delinquent on uh, like a $2,000 student loan that I didn't know I had um, at one point. It really did a lot. Of, it did a number on my credit. On the, on the plus side, I did get that paid off eventually, and um, it, it put me in my like mid-20s into like a real focus on building my credit and getting a good credit score. And got my credit score up to like a close to 800, even though it's taken a taken a hit as of late um, due to some other things. But all that being said, I never had any real student loans. I, I my my grandfather, um, who had a seventh grade education, you know, earned a few million dollars in the oil field, uh, working his ass off, and made sure that I was the first person from my family to graduate college. Um, and he made sure that I wasn't going to be in any kind of like financial hole. It was it's funny how. Coming from a parent, you know, being raised by my grandparents who are who are boomers by every aspect, by every um, every indicator, uh, who didn't neither one of them had a real education, and how important it was for them to them for us to get an education was really astonishing to me. Like somebody, he just knew my grandfather knew that his lack of education was a big limiter in his life. Um, whether that was the way it was, he was perceived, whether that was the job opportunities, he wasn't, he couldn't spell very well, uh, and write very well. Like he just didn't, he, he, he dropped out of school in the, like the sixth or seventh grade, him and his brother did, uh, when his father passed away to put his, so his sisters could go to school. He had a few sisters and they could go to school. So he started working a paper route. Then he was a fry cook. Um, he had a paper route when he was a kid. Then he was a fry cook at the military base. And then eventually at like 16 or so, 17, uh, started working on a, on a, a well maintenance rig. Um, then ran a rig, then bought a rig, then bought some production. And you know, lo and behold, then oil was $150 a barrel. And here we are. So I got my college paid for that way. Um, that being said, I know and look at the student loan crisis and I see the injustice that exists there. Um, and we're going to break that down. One about what I would have done differently. Um, that would have probably led to more student loan forgiveness, to be honest with you, uh, but done in a different, in a different fashion. Uh, and what I feel is a more fair and just fashion, um, and a more productive way of going about it as well. Um, and we'll discuss like the Republican hypocrisy on all of this too. I'm not going to play a ton of clips, but I do want to just, I want to just talk this out in a way that I feel like it's not being talked about that it could actually be productive. So we're going to all sides here. So what all sides is, is a, it's a news outlet that puts uh, kind of the headlines from the left, the right and the center in a row. So you can see kind of what's going on and then just kind of breaks down the basics, which I really appreciate. It says Biden cancels $10,000 of student loan debts for borrowers under, earning under $125,000. Now, Biden announced Wednesday that he would cancel up to $10,000 of federal student loan debt for borrowers making less than one twenty-five dollars a year. Biden has also extended a pause on student loan payments, which began in March of 2020 under former President Donald Trump until the end of the year. Furthermore, those who receive need-based Pell Grants will see up to $20,000 of student debt canceled, and those with undergraduate loans will be able to cap monthly payments at 5% of their income, which is great. That, that, that piece, the 5% of their income thing is great. Um, Biden is scheduled to speak on the matter, blah, 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 blah. The move fulfills one of Biden's more controversial campaign pledges after months of internal White House debate over whether the move would spur inflation. 
which finally evened out in July. There has also been public debates over the fairness of student loan forgiveness since most Americans either did not attend college or have already paid off their loans. A July poll found that 51% of Americans supported the $10,000 student debt cancellation. Coverage differed starkly between right and left outlets, with the right often uh, emphasizing the move's impact on national debt, which they really don't actually care about that, only when Democrats do it. Um, And we'll go down from here, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so from the right, this is the National Review. Biden, quote-unquote, forgiveness, massive amounts of, excuse me, Biden, quote-unquote, forgives massive amounts of student loan debt, transferring the cost to the public. President Joe Biden is set to forgive up to 10000 in federal student loan debt for those making under one hundred twenty-five k and 20000 for Pell Grant recipients, transferring the cost of the loan to the American public. The White House announced Wednesday that Biden's decision marks the first time a president has canceled federal student loan debt in such a broad capacity and comes months before midterm elections. He had campaigned on canceling up $10,000 per borrower during the presidential race, but there was no mention of an income gap. Okay, so that's what the right is saying. That's their headline there. Now it's going to look through that and see what we see. Um, you're seeing this idea that it's transferred to the public. Now what you're going to hear a lot, and Ted Cruz said this, that it's going to cost every American taxpayer uh, $2,100 on average. Um, so again, that's average. Uh, it's going to be more for higher owner earners and less for, for uh, lower earners. Um, Yes, and that's over 10 years. They don't like to say that it was $2,200 over 10 years. Now, Ted Cruz is known for supporting wars, uh, loves wars, loves the military-industrial complex, um, is not afraid to spend your money. So I don't understand. We like to look at everything that Ted Cruz has voted for that we don't agree with, how much that's costing us over 10 years, and then throw that in his face. Would that make sense, Right. Now, do two wrongs make a right? No. But hypocrisy is fucking hypocrisy, and Ted Cruz is a fucking hypocrite, right? Am I wrong here? You know, and, and the fact that this, this fat fuck is going to call baristas lazy and call working class people lazy. Let's get a clip of that up there in there, Josh. The fact that this fat fucking asshole is going to call working class people lazy is so disconnected and arrogant and disgusting. It's even hard to think that somebody would do that or say that. Now, I understand the criticisms of the policy, but don't attack the American people while then playing victim when your side gets attacked by a bunch of people that are equally as disgusting as you on the other side. Fucking absurd. You should be fucking ashamed of yourself, Ted Cruz. That disgusts me so much. Ugh. And if you haven't seen that, look it up. From the left, Biden cancels up to 10K in federal student loan debt uh, for certain borrowers and up to 20,000 for Pell Grant recipients. Biden administration announced Wednesday that it will cancel up to uh, $10,000 of student debt, blah, 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 blah. Couples who earn $250,000 a year or less file taxes jointly will also qualify for cancellation up to $10,000 per partner. So it's a pretty straightforward headline. This from NBC News. Oh. And then from the center, Biden cancels up to 10K and student debt extends payment pause. So it's pretty straightforward here, right? There's nothing crazy. You're not seeing a lot of like, I think you're actually seeing less praise from the left than you would think. And when I say the left, I mean the mainstream Democratic Party. But you're seeing so much vitriol from the right. Um, and you're seeing so many things about this when we look at the whole deal. 
and I just want to talk through this. I know I know we're rambling a bit here. By forgiving student loans, right? By do it by for, with this policy, you're admitting what we've all known that the student loan process is a scam. And you may not be admitting the fact that doesn't make it less true that the federal government's involvement in higher education has done more harm than good. And I say that looking at this, right? I like the student debt forgiveness. Now, the way I would have done it is based on interest, right? Uh, Brianna Joy Gray brought up a good point. And I, this is how I feel. I feel the same way, right? Say my education cost $100,000. I don't think it did, but maybe it did. Whatever. Just say it was hundred k. Maybe it cost me and my family $100,000. Now, if you have to take $100,000 in student loan debt to go to school, right? And probably less than that, but we'll just use that because it's a nice round number. It may end up costing you $170,000, right? Over the next 20 years, you're paying that off. Brianna Joy Gray made this point about herself who went to Harvard Law, right? And not all attorneys make a ton of money, but a lot do. And can pay those off. Uh, for her For her uh, wealthy classmates, it cost them $180,000 to go to law school because their parents paid $180,000 to Harvard Law, right? Which has a endowment of billions of dollars, by the way. Um, it cost her $240,000 to go to Harvard Law School as a working class woman. doesn't matter that she's a woman, but it doesn't matter that she's a work, from a working class family. And it cost her time and a half as much, almost twice as much. It's crazy, right? Because of the interest rates. So again, we're looking at the scam within the scam here. So they've bloated what's necessary to graduate with a bunch of stuff that is beyond unusable, right? Like the dumbest shit. You don't need racquetball courses in college, guys. This isn't, you're not a child. You don't need PE. A bachelor's degree should take you two years. Summer break? Why do you need a summer break in college, dude? The best thing you can do in college is to take summer courses. They're way shorter and way faster, and you knock them out. It's done. I took the hardest courses in summer because I'd just be, I'd be in there every day for three hours for seven weeks or whatever. It was great. You're not in fucking kindergarten. You don't need a summer break. What the fuck are you talking about? No. A bachelor's degree should take two years and should not require physical education courses. Who gives a fuck, right? There's so many things. LSU doesn't need a lazy river, right? I went to Texas State, and for whatever reason, there was a pissing contest between Texas State, A&M, UT, uh, Texas Tech, over who had the tallest rock climbing wall. Now, while I think that colleges should have uh, a pool to swim in, a good gym, you know, things like that, and maybe even some rock climbing, there's some basic things, but, like, they've gotten absurd. It's become a fucking playground. It's become an amusement park. That just it sucks money in, and these 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 places like LSU is a perfect example. That I think the dean was saying we don't even want you to leave campus. Why? So you can insulate these college students some more. Like you should have a college that's focused on education, okay? Education. Now, if businesses want to crop up around that because there's a, there's a there's a market need for a, other gyms and other things. I don't know other things that students want to do. Coffee shops. Like that's great. Let the local economy take care of that. It's not the responsibility of the university, but it's become that way because the administration has gotten bloated. I mean, there's diversity and inclusion heads of colleges that are making over $300,000 a year. Like, why the fuck would my tuition go to that? Especially at that rate. That's absurd. That's exploitation. 
So we look at the whole thing. It's like I am I'm pro forgiveness, but it needed to be paired with reform. And Saga brought this up as well. It says if you cancel ten thousand dollars, the amount of outstanding debt will return to the same levels in four years. It's actually five years. So you haven't reformed anything. You've admitted that the system is a scam, but you haven't reformed anything. I am all about loan forgiveness. Like I said, now what I would have done here. Because I brought the the example, if you have $100,000 to go to school, but it ends up costing you one hundred seventy, I feel like that's cost prohibitive, and I think that the incentives for the universities gets all fucked. The incentives, incentives for the lenders get all fucked. It just gets, it gets wild. I think the way you go about student debt forgiveness is do it based on, based on um, interest rates. Forgive the interest. Forgive the interest accrued, right? And cap the interest rate at 1.5. Maybe you forgive the amount of interest accrued on the principal. The difference between what your interest rate was and 1.5%. And you cap student loan interest rates at 1.5%. With that, that changes the incentive for lending. And you also allow people to, to declare bankruptcy from student debt. And that's a funny thing too. You cannot declare bankruptcy from student debt. So that's, 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 that means that people that take out these loans, right, are held completely accountable to them, unlike any other loan that exists. And the banks have zero risk, which changes the incentive for the banks completely. So if you look at this and you say, hey, we're going to change the incentive structure here. You can declare bank- bankruptcy from student loan debt. We're going to forgive the interest that's accrued on the principal over time. We're going to cap the interest at 1.5, right? So now if somebody's had a... A, 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 a loan forever, right? For a long time. And they just, they're sucked underneath it. The people that really need the forgiveness are going to get the most. So they've been paying this out forever, right? And they're still stuck with twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 and they're only paying interest because they don't have any money. These are people that really need help. Well, then they're going to get the most, they're going to get the biggest piece of the, of the, of the forgiveness. If someone's 22 and just out of college and doing their thing and they've only accrued maybe, Five, six, seven hundred dollars on of interest. Well, they would get that forgiven. And they get their interest rates capped, and we can go on from there. And if somebody's really in trouble and they've gotten themselves in deep shit, they can declare bankruptcy. These are all things that could have been done that then also change the incentive structure for the lenders, for the colleges, and we start to see things change a little bit now. It's like, oh well, now we have to have a different conversation about what we charge for classes, what kind of administration bloat there is. Maybe somebody's going to offer the credits needed to get a bachelor's degree in two years if you go through the summer right? That changes, that undermines the current system that exists within our corrupt uh, university cabal. You see what I'm saying here? It may put a little bit more focus on local colleges getting, uh, getting a, little bit more, a little bit more funding, a little bit more donations, right? Everybody wants to donate to Harvard, Yale, and all these other places where, where if you were going to make a $100,000 or a million dollar donation to a small college, that's actually going to go way further. It's not going to go into their fucking hedge fund. So when you turn colleges into hedge funds and you change the incentives to the structure we have, you get into a really shitty place. And that's where we're at now. You know, and now Bernie Sanders wanted to forgive all student loan debt and then cap it going forward at 1.8%. Would that have gotten through? No, it wouldn't have. But that cap at 1.5, 1.8, under 2%, I think is a really good idea. But the government also has to take responsibility for the fact that they've made college exponentially more expensive. Very important. And we don't have dialogue and debate over this issue. Now, what I thought was interesting over this, even though I think this is generally a good idea, and here's why I think it's a good idea. I'm going to steal, man, the debt forgiveness. 
One, first of all, it's the biggest move we've seen when it comes to student debt. No one has done anything when it comes to student debt at all. We've talked about it for a while, but no one's done anything. Just like legalization of marijuana. Everybody wants to get the votes associated with that very popular policy, just like healthcare reform, but nobody wants to actually do anything about it, right? College debt, same thing. So what we've seen now, and this is a good thing for everybody, we've seen somebody make a move. Right now, will it get struck down by the Supreme Court? Possibly. But we've seen somebody make a move, attempt to make a move on student debt. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, everybody who disagrees with this move has new ideas about what we can do about student debt. All of a sudden, the conservatives are just pulling ideas out of their ass about what they can do about student debt. So now we have a little bit of pressure on both sides of political parties, or both political parties that, are, that have, have us by the balls. A little bit of pressure applied on them to do something here. So that's good, right? Now, if this does go through and this debt gets, gets uh, knocked out, well, people have been paying, what, their $200, $300 a month into, this, into their debt. It's not moving very fast. And all of a sudden, say you had $8,000, $9,000 in college debt, it's gone. Okay? Well, now you've got a little bit more flexibility, right? Now you can take on something if you're making those payments. Now you're willing to, ready to now I know things have been paused for a long time, but if you've got the means to make those payments of that three or four, now you have a little bit more money to spend, right? Maybe that means that's the difference in you being able to put a down payment on a house and not, right? Maybe that means you can get a, a more fuel-efficient car and save yourself a little bit of money long-term, and, and that also supports the economy in certain ways. So there is a stimulus associated with this as well. Now, does it, you're seeing this criticism a lot as well too, does it disproportionately affect um, the white-collar crowd? Yeah, probably does. It probably does. Um, now, that being said, I think a lot of people that have college degrees that didn't really work out uh, and weren't as valuable, and I don't mean just like, you know, liberal studies, whatever degrees, like the, like the, the ones you're going to bring up, but like a lot of degree, like a lot of times a degree, degree just doesn't mean anything. You, know, you end up working retail or as a barista, and, you know, you got sold a false bill of goods. And we have to also acknowledge that Many times college is sold as a false bill of goods and they do not deliver on what they, what they promised, right? A degree does not mean what it should mean or could mean or what they say it means. So it seems like a fraud and it seems like a lot of this is just like people who are caught up in a fraud are getting a little bit of, little bit of help for most people, for a lot of people. Now, if you, depending on what you want to do with your degree, it can be different. Um, God, where was I at? I keep going. There's just so many things that are fucked about this and my mind is all over the place. Uh, but no, I think that this could do some good for the economy as far as people being able to making that little difference between being able to put a down payment on a home uh, or maybe even relocate to a different state. Like there's all kinds of things that that little bit of freedom can actually help. Um, but again, I would have liked to have seen it means tested by who's paid the most interest as opposed to a flat $10,000. And it would have been paired with, um, it would have been paired with massive reform. And to bring it back around to working class folks being, you know, that didn't go to college or have already paid off their debt being kind of ostracized by this. I think you have to also pair this with some kind of trade school reform as well. Right. I think if, if, if you have is student loan debt for this and it's, if you had to take out loans to go to trade school or had to take out loans to start a bit like, like there's a million of the ways where like people are doing something that are actually adding value to the, to our, to our society that also need to be noticed and appreciated within this student loan conversation as well that didn't go to college, but maybe got an education elsewhere uh, and maybe accrued some debt through that. And maybe there's something there. Now, is it as clean and simple? No, of course not. But if it's trade schools, that is right. If you have clear trade school debt and you just got out of trade school, Hey, forgive 10,000 of that too. You know, 
and may make a policy going forward where if you graduate from trade school, you get some debt forgiveness. Now, the problem with all of that is, and it's where it gets very government-y, is like, well, now you're going to see tuition go even higher. And it's the same thing I said about the EV tax credit. And what do you know, right? You get a $7,500 EV tax credit, and then the price of electric vehicles just goes up five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000, right? And I think you're going to see the same thing. It's like, well, people are going to go to college. Like, well, it's probably going to get forgiven, so I might as well just go spend away. They got big, and that, that, that provides perverse incentives. So now you have perverse incentives on the consumer side and the university side. And so it's, it's, there's so much here, but again, I wanted to just talk through this because I've been thinking about it a lot and we're not seeing quality dialogue and debate, right? There's valid points on both sides. You can land on whichever side you want. I totally get that, but we have to understand that we're dealing with an industry. You're forgiving debt that was paid to an industry that has very perverse incentives. And I think that is the foundation we need to focus on. So just like Sagar said, I'm in hundred percent alignment with him on this. I don't like this not paired with something. Now, that being said, if there would have been legislation passed that would have helped out American people, would have reformed the college system, would have done all these things, it would have been presented in, in, in Congress and gone through the process, Republicans would not have voted for it and would not have given Democrats a win. So before you listen to whatever is Jim Jordan, Ted Cruz, whoever the fuck else, right? Understand that they would not have done a goddamn thing thing to help you or me or anybody else or reform the college education system. They would not do a single thing, no matter how good it is for the American people, no matter how good it is for the American people and our, our society, our culture going forward. They would not have done anything that would have given the Democrats a win. So their criticism of this means so little to me. And it's not Dan Crenshaw, same thing. Old World World Economic Forum, Dan Crenshaw. Same deal. A lot of criticism coming, but you would not have voted for a form if it would have come to a vote because you would not give the Democrats a win because before anything else, it's about your team, it's about partisanship, and it's sure as fuck for either one of these political parties is not about the American people. It's about votes. And that's just a sad, sad reality. All right, one of my favorite podcasts of all time, favorite podcast episodes of all time, Joe Rogan with Aaron Rodgers. Been a big Aaron Rodgers fan since I was a Green Bay fan because of a backup to the Cowboys because the Cowboys were getting into kind of the same drought that they've been in, and I uh, I needed a team to root for that was going to you know win some playoff games. So I was actually a Green Bay fan right whenever Aaron Rodgers um, kind of unseated Brett Favory and uh, loved the guy. I think he's great. He seems really seems like a really interesting dude, pretty good golfer. I'd love to play golf with him. Hit me up, Aaron. Um, yeah. He's on the Rogan, Joe Rogan experience, and all this shit over COVID was just like so fun for me to watch because I was like, I was with him, man. You guys know where I'm at. You guys know where I'm at on this. But we talk about this, you know. I will bring up this whole thing where Joe Rogan said vote Republican and kind of like had a shit eating grin on his face. It was funny. I liked it. Uh, at the same time, I was also like, well, it's, that's a little bit cunty, and there's a lot more to it than that because the Republicans have their own are also kind of a mixed bag as far as like what they provide and what they offer and where they're going to go and. In four or eight years, we're just going to be dealing with the same bullshit, right? We're just going to be saying bullshit. But we talked about COVID in this episode, vaccines, big pharma, two-party system, psychedelics, head trauma, big ad, microplastics, plastic toxins. Like this conversation was built for me, right? <laughs> I think if we go back, like if you look at this, if I was having a conversation with Joe, it'd be very similar, except we'd probably talk more about hunting than we did the NFL, 
but just sub those two out and it's the same fucking conversation because we have a lot of the same passions and a lot of the same frustrations. Um, but again, the vote Republican thing was silly and a lot of people are making a lot to do about that. The Republicans are, the Democrats are, people are crying. David Dole's crying. Kyle Kalinske's crying. Everybody's fucking freaking out and got their panties in a bunch. And they're all like, they're, 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 they are, they're trying to revise history on this whole thing about how COVID, um, or how Joe and Aaron were treated through COVID, right? The lies, like all that shit. Everybody's conveniently forgetting about that, right? The kind of cunty lefties are just like, they're so scared. They're coping so hard with the fact that like, at the end of the day, these guys look right to most Americans. And most of the compliance that you, that, that, that was, that was seen throughout COVID um, was by force, not by choice. And sorry to say this, David Dole, David Pakman, uh, Sam Cedar, Jink Uger, Kyle Kalinske, you're on the wrong side of this one, guys. You're on the wrong side of this one, and I have zero problem saying that. And I will literally come on any one of your shows and have that discussion with you um, in a calm and respectful manner. I really will, but... You gotta take the L here, guys. You've got to take the L whenever the L is presented to you in this in this clear of a fashion. But let's all that being said, there's part of this 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 episode that I, th- I actually found the most value in. We're gonna play a little bit of that right now. Um Yeah, let's just get into it. Registering as a that that means you can vote in the primary, right? But Joe Biden's the most popular president in history. <laughs> yeah, he's the best. I mean, there's no one better. He's best at talking. He's best at walking upstairs. Good handshaker. Yikes. He's good at riding bikes. <laughs> he shakes hands with ghosts. I mean, uh, he's not a fan of mine. I don't think. No, no. Does he say anything about he's, you? He would one thing. He, he was in Wisconsin for a rally. So tell your quarterback to get vaccinated. Ah, I remember there was a there was some crisis that was going on, and I, I remember oh it was a hurricane that was coming. I said the best thing you can do is get vaccinated. I saw that. God, this is going to go down in history. What? It's just like. Some of the dumbest End shit of ever. Jesus Christ, buddy. You've but seen anyway, him on the prompter when he said yes. <laughs> Repeat the quote. Repeat the quote. Yeah. Yeah. End of sentence. Repeat the quote. Yeah. Democrats got everything. How do we go from Obama to this? Yeah. Well, even Obama said it. Like, Obama was famously quoted as saying, you know, Joe has an amazing capacity to fuck things up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was a dumb guy when he was okay. I mean, he was, he's never a bright guy. I mean, he's very well known as a liar like there's there's all these videos of him lying about his education record lying about so many different accomplishments that he's achieved in his life he was always a bullshit artist and not just a bullshit artist but like a liar like a flat-out liar i graduated at the top of my class no, no you didn't how would you not know that how do you not know you didn't graduate at the top of your class you definitely didn't you know why are you saying that Did somebody hit you over the head and tell you that like what the fuck are you talking about and the fact that he was do you know we used to have joe biden night at stitches comedy club in boston because he got caught plagiarizing so he got caught plagiarizing when he was running for president in 1988 so in 1988 we had joe biden night where uh like you would do my act and i would do your act we would all <laughs> plagiarize each other and it was for fun just for comedians and people would come by and watch that's wild. That's how well known he was of being a liar. And that's what, 34 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? They just, I think they counted on people's ability to ignore negative press and also the polarization in this country because people hated Donald Trump so bad that Trump represented an opposition that had to be stopped. And so this was an established Democrat. He'd been around for years and we could probably win with him. It turns out they were right. 
But see, that's the problem with politics is, is you know, now it swings because, you know, you got Weekend of Bernie's up there is, you know, yeah. trying to read the prompter <laughs> and then some, you know, Republican steps up and is going to change the country and get us back to, you know, America first and whatever the hell slogan it's going to be. And then four years later, it's going to swing back the other way. That, that's that's why I always say politics is a sham, man. I well, definitely is that. Yeah. If you always say that, you're right. <laughs> it is. Because people are always like, yep. you're, you know, you're a right-wing, anti-vaxxer, flat-earther. And I'm like, politics is fucking bullshit. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> right? I do like Obama. I played golf with him. Uh, I do like him. He's very, very uh, uh, interesting guy. A lot well, of charisma. the best president in my lifetime, for sure. He was the most statesmanlike, the most articulate. He was the most reasonable and and measured, and he just he embodied in my mind what I would like to represent the United States. When the world sees the United States, let's have this super educated, clear minded, just really smooth talker. Seems like together, a very nice well guy. Put together, plays yeah. basketball. See how good he is at basketball. Yeah, I mean, he's a good golfer too. Was he? Yeah. Did you win? Did I you beat him? him? Yeah. I, nice. I had one of the rounds of my life. Yeah, <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> I played good. I buried the first two holes. And, oh, nice! But that was that was a highlight for sure. That's nice. Yeah. yeah, cool story. Let me just tell you this. Just leave it there. But I wanted to bring this up to say that perspective, right? This politics is bullshit. You're calling somebody right wing. You're calling somebody this. Calling somebody that. It's bullshit for most people. That that, that those those fringes people that want to identify as I'm on this team. First off, those people get on my fucking nerves. I want nothing to do with them. I really don't. It's stupid. It's bullshit. It's fucking bullshit. So Aaron Rodgers is clearly politically homeless, which I appreciate and respect. And I wanted to bring that up. That was one of those things, that the little nugget right there, just really like when he goes into the problem with politics is I'm like, yes. Fucking yes. And so many people feel that way. It's a scam. You're getting fucked constantly. The only bipartisan uh, agreements are on the most fucked up things of all time. And that pendulum swings back and forth and back and forth. And it's just, a, and it just further and further placating to the fringes that everybody fucking hates. And everybody hates them more because then they start getting their way. And then you got to deal with that. You got to move on to the next thing. And it's like, God damn it. And then it's abortion. Then it's guns. Then it's student loan forgiveness. Then it's the border. Then it's, it's like, shut the fuck up. You, you guys, the simple fucking solutions to these problems and you have zero incentives to solve them. And then we get called crazy for knowing you're full of shit. Because I can look at incentive structures. It's not that fucking complicated. It's not that fucking complicated. And our incentive structures are incredibly perverse. And that is leading to the end of the American empire. And it is happening fast. It is happening fucking fast. And one day we're going to wake up and go, we fucked that up real bad. And you know who's going to be responsible? Not the Democrats. Not the Republicans. Every single fucking one of us. Because we've all played into this. All played into this. We'll play the blame game. Oh, it's their fault. It's this, this person's fault. It's, that, it's, this, blah, 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 blah. it's a stream. It's blah, blah, blah. No one cares. We all played into this. We all bear responsibility for the fucking shithole. I think the only people I could really single out as like being more responsible than any other are the fucking baby boomers. Baby boomers straight up fucked us. Like, everyone is paying the price for those crazy fuckheads. But outside of that, we all play a role in how fucked we are. And it's it, th- th- this view expressed by Biden and Rogers here, or not Biden, Rogan and Rodden Rogers here, um, is spot on how so many people feel. So many people in listening to this show right now feel exactly the same way, and I hear it every single 
day. So shouts to Aaron Rodgers for speaking his mind. I appreciate it. I think the NFL and Roger Goodell are probably going to be pretty upset about this episode, but when you're the fucking MVP, you can do what you want. That's what we used to say. That's what I said about Colin Kaepernick, man. It's like, hey, if you win, if you're LeBron, you can say whatever the fuck you want. If you're Aaron Rodgers, you can say what you want because you win games. You can't be mediocre and talk shit. But if you're the MVP, you have a little bit more freedom. And unfortunately, that's the way it is. <laughs> Love this episode. If you haven't listened, ch- checked it out, go and check it out. We may break down a little bit more of it here and there if we, if we feel compelled. But awesome stuff. Shouts to Aaron Rodgers. Now, with all that being said, it's time for that beautiful part of the episode where I give you something to think about. All right, let's talk for a minute. This is going to be real free flow. Um, yeah, so the other day I posted something. I'm actually really fond of the word pussy. Also fond of the word dick, uh, the word cunt I like a lot. These are all words that I really appreciate and enjoy. They're fun to say. Fuck is a good one. Um, asshole, right? Even in my own private life, I use the word retarded quite often. Um, yeah, I know I'm saying it about the only controversial word I don't say, uh, is the N word. And I also think that it's absolutely fucking absurd that I have to use the phrase N word to describe a word in context. Yeah, I'll say that. I'm not scared to say it. Honestly, I think it's fucking ridiculous. That I have to talk to another adult like a child by saying the N-word, as if speaking a word is going to make me racist and is going to conjure up some racist demon like Voldemort out of the ground that is going to all of a sudden bring oppression and slavery back to the United States. Right? It's naive, it's childish, and it's kind of pathetic. But I play the fucking rules because the consequences outweigh the benefits. But hey, it is what it is. But When it comes to language, I get really fucking annoyed, as you can tell, because language is very important. And I posted something the other day. We were going into something about uh, somebody, something about being a pussy, right? Using the word pussy. And we're going to focus on that word today. Um, mainly the word pussy and the word retarded. Um, here's the thing. Words can mean lots of things, right? Words can mean lots of things. Most words have several meanings. And sometimes they have very little to do with each other. Let's just take, for example, the word stand. You can stand. There's also a mic stand. There's a fruit stand. None of those stands, if you put them all together, would not really seem that similar, would they? But the word has many meanings. Just like the word pussy, dick, asshole, cunt, and retard. Okay? They all mean lots of different things. And language 
is flexible, right? Language is very flexible. That's why if you say the word fag in the United States, it means one thing. And if you say it in the UK, it means having a smoke. Okay? They mean different things. Language is flexible. That's how it's created, right? From weird mouth sounds to you being able to listen to my mouth sounds on a on your fucking phone, right? It evolves, it grows, it changes. So, whenever we go about using the word pussy, and the reason I brought this up is because when on that on that on that post, I had many people <laughs> jumping in and being like, "Well, you should pick a different word because pussies are stronger than dicks." And I was like, um, "Okay." And I was like, "Well, my dick can't get a yeast infection, so that's a little chink in your armor there." And she's like, "Well." Pussies get yeast infections from dirty dicks. I'm like, well, the dirt that's on my dick isn't causing me any problems, but it sure is fucking a pain in the ass for you, isn't it? So I think in one area, I've just decided, I've just distribu- uh, explained and shown how much how a dick can be stronger than a pussy, right? Well, pussies can take a beating and get in. Okay, so it's stretchy and you can push the baby out. I get it. I'm not saying pussies are bad, but what I'm saying is the word pussy means several things, right? When I call somebody a dick, I don't mean they're a penis. I mean they're a dick. When I call somebody an asshole, I don't mean they're a, a, a rectum with a sphincter. I mean they're an asshole. When I say pussy, I don't mean a vulva and a clitoris and a labia. I mean a pussy. It's a different fucking thing. And today, we have some people that get so hyper-literal and just want to, it's virtue signaling and it's also attention seeking on a grand scale. So if you were going to comment on this post and be like, well, pussies are stronger than dicks, then you're a pussy. Right? Or maybe you're a dick. Or maybe you're an asshole. You're one of, the, one of those three. But at the end of the day, that's okay. That's okay. Just keep your dad and mom jokes to yourself and grow the fuck up. At one point in our history, the term retarded meant someone with cognitive disabilities. But today, it is 2022. And if you don't go out of your way to see someone to, to, to use the appropriate term for someone with disabilities, whether it's autism or Down syndrome or something similar, right? It's very clear. We, we're smart enough as a culture to know what those different things are. If someone ever called someone with a disability retarded to their face, they would be catching my fucking right hand in their mouth so fast they wouldn't know what happened. That being said, when my buddy shanks a drive and I call him retarded as a joke, I have every right to do so, and that's not offensive to people with cognitive disabilities. It's not that fucking complicated. The language police all over the place are fucking insufferable. It's insufferable. Can we not embrace the fact that, yeah, back in the day, it was a medical term and turned into a derogatory term. And now today means, the word retarded means somebody that's fully functionally, fully cognitively there and functional and normal, dare I say the word normal, right? Doing something dumb. That's what it means now. Okay, because language is flexible. It changes. It evolves. And having a common cultural understanding of what that means, if you have a child with a cognitive disability, first off, the parents of those children are absolute heroes, and I will say that till I'm blue in the face. Okay? That being said, 
because I feel that way, I actually go out of my way and use the term Down syndrome or autism or whatever it is that's appropriate for someone with a disability. It's not that hard to do. And I will also call my friend retarded when he does something that's retarded. I don't know why we have to spell this out so much, but the language police and, and, the, and the feelings getting hurt in this are so unnecessary. And if you're getting your feelings hurt over silly shit like the word pussy or retarded, you're choosing that for yourself. You're choosing that for yourself. You're not, <laughs> you're not representative of the whole. And to be honest with you, you need to grow the fuck up. Okay? And yeah, you may say, well, you need to grow the fuck up and quit saying pussy and retarded. I'm not going to. And you're probably not going to either. But I can say it. And I am. And that's just something to think about. <laughs> probably the weirdest something to think about we've ever done on this show. <sighs> Curious what the backlash is going to be of that. <laughs> oh, guys, keep your head on straight. I love y'all. Thank you for being here. Join the Patreon so I can stop being poor. Bonus episode every week. Crowdsource from the Patreon by the Patreon for the Patreon. Be safe out there. Love ya. Bye bye.